You know what the most dangerous thing in America is, right? Nigger with a library card. <laughs> This is the Most Dangerous Thing in America podcast, where we talk about books written by black people, and they're discussed by a black man, and you can listen if you're black or not black, that's fine. Uh, This week on the podcast, we are talking about Love and Other Criminal Behavior by Nikki Dolson. This is a uh, a collection of short stories, crime fiction mostly, and some of the stories have been published in other places, like Shotgun Honey, Tough, Thuglet, and Bartleby Snopes. So this was a nice palate cleanser. After last week, we read Bell Hooks's We Real Cool, and that was uh, that required a lot of introspection and serious thinking. And this was more fun um, to read, more enjoyable, and just good. So, all right, we're going to launch. We're going to jump right in here. We're going to talk about the characters, and then, um, and then I'm going to talk about some stories that I liked. All right, so the characters in this book, these are... Broken people, uh, real people, people like you or I, maybe. Maybe. If you're a person with scars, if you've lived a uh, quote-unquote real life. So yeah, so you're getting a book full of real people, which is cool. And the other thing about this book is that it's full of female characters who are in non-traditional roles. Now, I'm going to try not to use cliches throughout this podcast, and I'm going to fail miserably. So just forgive me. But there's women who are in non-traditional roles... Uh, They are boxers, they are thieves, they are soldiers. Uh, They're women who demand more out of their lives than the roles that were traditionally defined for them. I feel like that's almost become a cliche at this point, but that's what's happened and that's what what these characters are in this book. They don't feel cliche at all. They feel like, and this is a cliche, uh, strong, independent women, but just women who, or just characters who are typically not represented. You know, I, I haven't read that many stories about female soldiers. I haven't read that many stories about female boxers. Um, I've seen Million Dollar Baby, but that aside, that that stood out to me. And to that end, my favorite character in the book is Kendra. Uh, She has a boxer. She is a boxer. And she has two stories in the first third of the book. I should say that I'm not 100% certain that Kendra is the same person in both stories, but I, I think she is. She's an older... Yeah, other side of 35, so older woman who is uh, a boxer, so that's old for boxing age, and and so I think she's the same character in both stories. Okay, in the first story she, she appears in is uh, Take the Hit, and in this story, Kendra fights a younger woman, and it's cool to read the story, I'm, I'm over 35 now, so, so I'm relating to it as uh, from the perspective of Kendra. She's fighting this younger woman, and her athletic peak is over, but she can still dig deep and use her veteran wiles and use her pride to battle against this younger woman. So it's somewhat inspiring to read this story, and you can identify with Kendra if you're of a certain age, and think about uh, what it takes to keep competing in whatever field you're competing in. Or just if you're talking about your, you know, uh, the sports that you play or whatever you do, if you're doing some kind of physical sport, um, it's nice to read that story and relate to that, to that battle to uh, fight off old father time. Uh, is this story crime fiction? 
It might be. It has an element of crime, and really boxing is one of those sports that just makes you think of cigar smoke and and betting and the mob and Sonny Liston taking a dive. So it has a nice atmosphere, great character, and some good themes in there. The second story that Kendra appears in is Stars. And this is probably my favorite story in the whole collection. It was cool to have like a return character. I like when I'm reading short story collections and they link together. Um, So, but not like, obviously not linked together like a novel or something. It's just the character appears once and then the character comes back and appears again over here. I don't know why I like that, but I do. Uh, What else I liked about the story was the love triangle aspect. And then because there's a lot of back and forth between the three main characters and the relationship to each other. And then I really liked the way the story ended. I thought Nikki Dolson took us far enough so that we know we knew all of the characters and we understood their motivations. And then we got a resolution at the end, but it wasn't a, f- a complete resolution. Like, we don't know exactly what happens at the end of the story. But we know enough, and more importantly, Kendra, who's the main character, she goes on a journey and she changes by the end of the story. So even though not every single loose end is tied up, it's satisfactorily tied up, and we know enough to to feel like we've got closure, but to still want more. So I thought that was really well done. And overall, the through line of both of these stories, and the through line of Kendra in general, is that she's relentless. Uh, she's got the indomitable fighter spirit. I told you there were going to be cliches. She's got the indomitable fighter spirit. She's been knocked down. She gets back up. But uh, I'm using these cliches. These cliches do not appear in the book. Um, and what's not cliche about Kendra is these are not happy endings necessarily. Um, she doesn't get exactly what she wants in the end. She just at least can be at peace with herself with her conduct. You know, like, although she's been knocked down, she gets back up. And it doesn't mean she necessarily wins or comes away with what she wants or gets the the title or gets the man that she's after or gets the life that she's after, but she can at least be at peace with herself. So that was really nice. Um, really nicely done in those two stories. Okay. The next story I wanted to highlight was on Monday nights, we danced in the park. This story's got a really good, uh, theme going on that I want to talk about. Uh, and to do that, I'm going to just go ahead and read a little passage here. So in the story, what's happening is that, um, Marissa, the main character, has divorced from her husband, and her father's passed away. And so she and her mother are kind of going through the same idea of loss, obviously in different ways, and they're both dating. Uh, So Marissa's going on a bunch of dates, and here's one of them. Okay. There was Vincent, a friend of a friend. He was short, dark, and hairy in the best way, and he owned a failing bar in the West Suburbs. At dinner, the conversation was awkward. He liked the socks, I liked the Cubs. He hated office environments, and I couldn't wait to find a new office job. When dinner arrived, burgers and fries and a third beer for each of us, he said, Can I touch your hair? I stopped chewing. What? I heard that black women don't like to have their hair touched, he said. There was a splotch of mustard at the corner of his mouth. Alright, couple of things I like here. First of all, I love the details. I love he was hairy in the best way. That's fantastic. And there was a splotch of mustard at the corner of his mouth. That's great. I like. It's very uh, visual. You can imagine somebody saying something to you that's so dumb that it kind of like hits you in the head like a blunt object. 
and for a moment you're dazed and all you can see is this, <laughs> this bright yellow mustard at the corner of their mouth. Very cinematic. So that's, that's just what I like there with the language. What I like about this passage overall is that this could have been a cliche moment. At this point now, the idea of black people not wanting their hair touched by random strangers um, is a well-known cliche, right? Even Vincent has heard of it. But that's not what happens here. She makes it so that it's not just Vincent saying, can I touch your hair? He knows that he shouldn't ask this question. And so what he's doing is some kind of uh, performative racism where it's like, hey, I know that what I'm about to say is generally racist or could be taken as racist, but because I know it, it's not racist, right? And it, it is. And um, and so I really like that here. It, it took this moment, which at this point we know about, right? The society at large knows about it. Um, and it changed it a little bit, gave it its own little spin here. And then this idea of performance, performance continues throughout this story. So... There's another date that Marissa goes on in which uh, her date says to her, I never dated a black girl before and you're cute. Pause. I mean, sexy, cute. He doesn't know. He doesn't know if he should say sexy or or if he should say cute. He doesn't know what he can say that won't anger black women because black women are so angry. Um, And then later on, uh, her mother is dating a woman and... The woman is complaining to Marissa about how her mother wants to do this performative lesbianism and how she wants to go to lesbian Disneyland and she wants to watch Kissing Jessica Stein. And uh, so there's a performance there. And then finally, I mean, not finally, there's more examples, but another great example or maybe my favorite example is the man who she dates who wants to uh, have sex while watching rap videos of black women dancing. And... I just like this whole thing. I like it, well, I like the idea of, in this particular instance, him projecting fantasy onto Marissa, the main character. But I like every character in the book is doing this performance. They don't know who they are. They've kind of lost their identity. Marissa, in particular, and her mother were both in some way defined as, you know, uh, her mother was married to a man for decades. He's gone. So part of our identity is now gone, right? And I'm not saying that women are defined by the men that they're with, but anybody, if you live with a person for decades, is going to be defined by the person they live with. And then Marissa was in a relationship, was married, and now that person's gone. So they're out there just trying to figure out who they are, and they're being who they are, and mostly the people they're encountering don't know who they are. Well, that's true for Marissa. Maybe her mother's struggling with who she is a little bit more. But this performative aspect that goes on throughout the story is, uh, is very interesting. And I thought it was the best part of the story. And this was this was probably my second favorite story in the book um, after Stars. So, yeah, that was fantastic. Okay, three more quick ones. Um, three more stories that I like. I'm not going to talk about these four as long, just very quickly. Uh, I liked the story Lucy, Lucy, Lucy. There are two things I liked about it. One is pretty obvious. The main character is a biracial teenager. And she has uh, good hair. And so, obviously, I'm going to relate to that. As a biracial person who has been told they have good hair, I would counter that my hair is, in fact, not good. But I have been told that. Um, And that's a very specific thing within the black community, right? When we're talking about good hair, we don't just mean that your hair looks nice. Uh, We mean the slave mentality that people with mixed hairs, people with mixed 
lineage have better hair because their texture is different. As my coach used to say in college, that's slave shit. Uh, okay, so anyway, <laughs> I like the story for that reason, and I liked the predatory aspect of this story. I mean, I, I don't want to say I liked it, but uh, Lucy is being groomed by an older girl in the story, and that's really interesting because I think when we think of somebody preying on a younger person, we generally think of, or at least I do, maybe this is just me, I generally think of an older man grooming a younger girl or a younger man. Excuse me, a younger girl or a younger boy, or a younger woman or a younger man, right? But uh, in this story, there's no men whatsoever. It's all females, and um, so it passes the Bechdel test, and it just has a dynamic in it, a lot of dynamics in it, that I, I've never really thought about um, with my Neanderthal man brain. So, um, yeah, I liked the story for just opening opening me up to an aspect that I hadn't considered. And, uh, yeah, it's a, that was a good story for that. And then the next one I wanted to mention was Our Man Julian. I loved this story. Um this one is like a straight crime story, and it felt like something Elmore Leonard would write, except he didn't. Nikki Dolson wrote it, and the reason that makes me happy is because whenever I'm reading Elmore Leonard, one of the things is like, you know, he's a master of dialogue and all of that, but when he's writing black characters or white characters who use the N-word, even if he's getting the lingo down or whatever, the rhythm of it down, whatever, even if it sounds authentic, you know, there's a part of me that's like, yeah, I don't know. If I love this, I don't know how I feel about it. There's conflicting emotions about it. Uh, I didn't have to have any of that when I was reading this story by Nikki Dolson. I just thought, wow, this is a great story. Great caper story. Good plot. Moves well. Love the character of Julian. Can really visualize him and feel him and empathize with him. And then, um, and then it's got a great ending. So I just loved everything about that story. And it was great to read a piece of crime fiction in which uh, there are black characters written by a black person, you know, what? and there are other great crime writers who are black. But uh, but whatever, Th- this was a great story, and I enjoyed it. The last story I want to mention here is Sunrise, and I don't think you could say he's the main character, but the story revolves around Great Uncle Wayne. And he's just a character that everybody knows. Everybody's got that one dynamic relative, like your most popular relative, or your most interesting relative the most interesting relative in your whole family that everybody has a story about or likes his stories or whatever that's great uncle wayne and uh yeah usually an uncle right um maybe you know your your father or mother's younger uncle so he's like closer to you in age or your father or mother's older uncle who like went out and did a bunch of interesting things anyway that's great uncle wayne he's awesome the story is beautiful and well told, and uh, probably the most somber story. Now there's some other there's some other serious stories in here too, but whatever. So it's a great story, Sunrise. And yeah, all right. The, the whole collection is fantastic. I really enjoyed reading it. Um, and you can find Nikki Dolson's work on NikkiDolson.com. She's got a novel coming out at some point. It's called All Things Violent. It says it's not available on her website, but eventually it will be. But yeah, I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes. So if you want to check these books out, you can just um, go to the show notes and click on it. And then next week, I'm going to be reading two books of poetry. They were 
published by Unlikely Books dot uh, com, which is a small independent press. And the name of the books are Swimming Home by Kayla Rodney, which was published in 2019, and Type Scenes by Rodney A. Brown, which was published in 2020. So, yeah, if you want to support uh, a small indie press, uh, Unlikely Stories, and Unlikely Books, they also have a literary magazine. Um, I'll leave that in the show notes, too, and you can click there and, uh, and support an indie press as well. All right. That's going to do it for this week. What do we say at the end here? Right. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Stay black. And keep reading. <laughs>